Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door, just like a Murillo Crossfield ball. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, you win? Only via the app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery free in terms of apply, see mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport, powered by fans. Hello and welcome back to this week's episode of Red Side of the Trent. No game this week, but a seven-year anniversary of that goal by Hildeberto Pereira versus Birmingham City, if you saw on our socials, has been doing the rounds. Maybe our guest has some words on that man. No Reese Lane, unfortunately, but I am joined by Christian Brown and Lee Clark, as usual. And we are delighted to welcome the iconic voice known to match-going fans, because it's our very own match day pitch side host Mark Dennison. Mark how are you thank you very much for joining us. I'm all right thank you very much indeed never been called iconic before that's great. Of course you're iconic you're part of the furniture I think at Forest but um, <laughs> before we do talk about Forest could you give our listeners a brief background on yourself and how you came to Nottingham as your home because I do believe you're from from the north aren't you from Manchester way I, I, I think. Yeah, um, well, so I was I was born in Manchester, and then I went to school in the northeast, which is actually where I am now, because I'm um, I'm staying at my parents. My mum's had a, an op, so I've come up to to help with uh, with her and dad for a few days. Um, and I went to Nottingham Trent Uni, um, got into radio, I suppose, properly there. Um, moved back up north, and then moved steadily south and ended up in Nottingham in 96, uh, working at uh, Trent FM. Started working at Forest at 2003, I think. Um, and yeah, I've, I've never left the city or uh, certainly never left Forest either. So um, yeah, happy days. Was you watching football in them days? And if you were, who, who was you supporting generally? If I'm absolutely honest, I wasn't massively into football when I was younger. Um, I got into it really through my son. So when when Joe was uh, two, even three, uh, certainly by four, we were going along to Forest Games. And a mate of mine was doing the um, um, announcing then. And I'd heard that he was leaving. And then someone at Forest approached the radio station and said, here, is there anyone that could uh, do it or fancies doing it? And there were three of us that were going to kind of job share. Um, and over time, well, over no time, really, I ended up just doing it on my own. I, I don't really, I've never really understood why. I think one of them got a bit cold feet because it is a bit of a daunting job at first. Um, but no, as soon as I did it, I loved it. So. Um, and especially, obviously, the last couple of years have been particularly enjoyable. So you've just basically fell into it, which is brilliant. Um, well, so you've been there since the League One days, I, I'm guessing 2003, yeah. Yeah, I, I was. I didn't look. I once, once worked out how many managers have been there while I've been there, and it's just ridiculous. Uh, I mean, Billy Davis has been there several times, obviously. Um <laughs> When I joined, I I can't remember whether it was Gary Megson or Joe Kinnear, but you know, just saying that 
that tells you everything you need to know about those times, doesn't it? That's, um, yeah, dark days of League One. Um, but then, then you know, getting promoted, getting promoted into the championship, that was, you know, that was a big moment. But there have been some long, <laughs> dark, lonely days pitch side at that place. And that's what makes the last two, three years even more special. Because I think, you know, and this goes for fans as well, you'll know, <clears throat> you go through the, the tough times and then when you get some really, you know, happy occasions, boy, do they feel really good because you've you've been through the lower bits as well. Yeah, I was just going to add on the, the League One stuff. Um it, it, obviously, if, if you're going into that environment and it's, I mean, the attendances weren't great when we were in League One and um, obviously the negativity was quite high. Um, I mean, I, I don't know, just describe how that that is to kind of your roles to get the crowd going to be quite positive. You must have kind of thought that, you know, is this really what I want? You, surely back then you couldn't still see yourself doing it now sort of thing because it must have been a, a thankless job to, to kind of do your role then. Yeah, I mean, it's... it's... It's interesting what you say about getting the crowd going because now <clears throat> they don't need building up. You know, everyone knows it's going to be, it's, we're in the Premier League and hopefully we're going to stay there for a while. Um, back then, yeah, it, it was it was difficult because, yes, part of your job is to uh, motivate the crowd. There comes a point where you kind of go, you kind of get the sense from the crowd that the crowd's looking at you as so, I'd say, well, don't try and wind us up too much, mate, because we know, you know, this is going to be, be at Yeovil or whatever. Um, so you almost kind of, you you do the kind of warming up for the crowd, but equally you don't go too far with it. Um, I don't know how to describe it other than that, but I've, I've talked to other people who've done this kind of job and I don't know, when, you, when you're in that position, you do, you, you, you give it some oomph, but there comes a point where you and the crowd have like an understanding and a bit of a relationship. Um, so, yeah, they were. I, I, if I'm honest, um, I don't really remember the atmosphere kind of backstage, if you like, from, from those times. I mean, it wasn't a very happy place. That goes without saying. But certainly, I mean, I can remember in the Fawaz era as well, you know, we've gone through some quite strange atmospheres and I part of my job I, I'm generally only there on a match day so Saturday or midweek so I dip in and out which in a way you get quite a, a quick sense of what the um, what the atmosphere is like and I certainly remember um, yeah those days actually were they were tricky and no one was particularly happy it rubs off you know not just on the pitch but behind the scenes marketing i mean those days there wasn't social media but that is a big thing now that you know there's a big kind of army of people behind the scenes and i think not just results performances atmospheres they, they affect everyone um so i dare say yeah they would have been pretty low then but certainly yeah i can remember even in the more recent history it's um it's not always been the happiest place Uh, yeah, sorry, Mike. Just going on to the um, obviously you mentioned the Fawaz era then, which was pretty bleak to put it mildly. I think most, if not all, Forest fans would agree. How do you? I mean, I guess, I guess it's sort of like obviously it might have been similar deja vu, really, in the sense that you know going back to that sort of League One era. But when you've got the fans outwardly protesting the games, and you know it's like beyond critical, you've got the Nottingham Post have run a front page telling him to get out of the club. You've got fans not coming full stop because they're refusing to put money into his pocket. I mean, on a match day, I know obviously it's similar, it's sort of like sort of isolated almost, but does it make it significantly more difficult for you when things are that bleak off the fields? If that makes sense. Mm, um, I suppose you just have to go into work mode, really. And um... I, you know, I see it as my job and I, I take it, you know, pretty seriously. So <clears throat> I suppose you've got to, you've got to be aware of it, but equally you've got to block it out because at the end of the day, and I suppose the same, I'm not comparing myself to 
players, but the players have to just crack on. And I suppose I, I do as well. Um, and so, yeah, it, those those days, years, um, they weren't nice at all. There was an awful lot of stuff happening behind the scenes. And I, and I really didn't like, um, because of I, I am dipping in and out, but I've got a lot of friends that work at that place. And some of them aren't there now. But you would turn up on a match there and people would look ill because they were so worried and stressed. And, you know, and you think, blimey, you're working for a football club. It should be one of the best jobs in the world. Um, and a lot of these people, are, they're not old. They're not like me. And, you know, I'm in my 50s. But these were people who were um, in their 30s, um, probably older than me, if that's possible. Um and it does have an effect, you know, and a lot of a lot of them left. A lot of people left during that time and uh, other people have left subsequently as well because it's, it's just left a bit of a, a sour taste, which is a shame. Um, but here we are now in a much, much better place, unrecognisable from, from those days, really. Luckily, Mark, I, I edit this, so you, you feel free to tell me to go away with this sort of question. But Joe you know, when Billy Davis was manager and there was a bit of a, a media blackout with BBC, I think it was for a bit. What was that kind of like? I know I know because you worked for the BBC at the time, so it's kind of you're kind of stuck in the middle there as someone who's working for the club and the BBC. What yeah, is it was there any any stories around around Billy Davis? Because I do know from from other stories of, on other football podcasts, you, you you had a bit of paranoia about him, to say the least. Yeah, um, it's strange, actually, with, um, we're talking about Billy because last home game, uh, Raddy Majewski was... Uh, yes, I was present the, there. Uh, the guest, yeah. And um, now I'm doing a little bit uh, more on a match day and one of, them, one of those things is interviewing guests like Raddy. And the first thing he went on, he went into one of the lounges and he said, because he said to me beforehand, oh, I'm not sure if anyone will remember me. And I said, I'm sure they will. In fact, I know they will. They'll love having you here. So don't, you know. Um, and, he, and he just went on this little rant about, um, I'm not sure if you remember me, but I was here when we had crazy manager, Billy Davis. And I thought, <laughs> oh my God, he's mentioned him. Um but, you know, he got a laugh and it, it kind of it warmed Raddy up. And he said, um, and I've heard other people say this as well, Billy obviously is a very, very good coach. He, I mean, regardless of the strange bits either ends of his tenure, um, Forrest were by and large very successful, played some pretty good attacking football. They had players like Raddy, who was perfect really for the kind of football he wanted to play. So he's obviously a very good coach, and a lot of people will say he was very good at the kind of man management on his day. But then if you upset him or when things started to unravel, things behind the scenes started to affect him, uh, it all went a bit strange and he went. And the weirdest thing was when he came back, because, you know, a lot of us <laughs> could see it all happening again. And he just thought, what are you doing? And they put him on the big screen, didn't they? Like the return of the Messiah. And you just think, oh, my God. Um, I didn't have a problem with Billy, actually. My interactions with him were, were like I can count on one hand. Um, I've always tried to keep the day job. I'm not at the BBC anymore, but as you rightly say, I was then. And I've always had to, because of working with the BBC, had to keep those two jobs separate. Uh, and for a while, the BBC didn't didn't want me to be doing the forest thing, but I'd been there for a long time anyway. Um, so again, it was a kind of professional thing. I knew I had to just keep it separate. Um, it's more at the time it was Robin, wasn't it? Robin was the uh, pitcher reporter for yeah, it was yeah, Chippers, yeah. Um, and you know, his life was made hell because <laughs> Billy had just decided he wasn't gonna. It wasn't just he wasn't going to talk to him, but he was going to make a big thing out of not talking to him as well. And he just, I never understood what that was all about. Because because Robin dared to ask a couple of questions that weren't, you know, were kind of cosy. How was the game? Uh, tell me about the tactics. He asked a couple of 
not not rude, not you know, but maybe more direct questions. Billy didn't like it, and that was it. Yeah, unfinished business part two, wasn't it, or whatever he called it? But um, I, before before Lee jumps in, I did want to ask one one thing of it. I mean, I think one manager who probably gave you the easiest job as as a pitch side and out as a, as the stadium announcer was probably Stuart Pearce because I don't think you needed to really hype the crowd up for his return. What what could you tell me about that day? Because I I was at that game and I don't think I mean Mullough Kintyre might have compared to recent times in the Premier League, but I mean. That got the hairs on the back of your neck stood right up when when he came yeah. out of that tunnel, didn't it? Yeah, and that was that was one of those moments actually where you couldn't have timed that more uh, better than so he walked out of the tunnel. I think just as Mull of Kintyre was finishing, or just as the crowd was singing that that verse of it. Um, and, and that wasn't rehearsed because I remember someone at that day or the next day said, you know, was that planned? Was that was someone there with a stopwatch or whatever? <laughs> I mean, those days we weren't timing anything, trust me. Um, struggle to do it now. Um, but no, that was magic, absolutely magic. And and I think I'm there is a part of me still, and I, I think listening because I've heard Stuart talk about it a few times that. You know, I do wish that I'd worked out a bit better for him because kind of felt like, I don't know, um, there were flashes, weren't there? You know, and we had a Sombolonga, Antonio, um, Osborne with that goal at Derby as well. And there were flashes, but it just wasn't quite consistent enough. And again, stuff behind the scenes. Maybe it was just, you know, wrong place, wrong time in a way. I don't know, but... Uh, there were. It was great to be there. I just wish it had lasted longer, really. Yeah, I think I think my uh, my next question probably is a bit of a random one, to be honest. But um, obviously, goal music is quite a hot topic on social oh, media. No. Um, no. And I, I just wondered, obviously, with your responsibility, obviously jumping on the mic when a player is scored and announcing who's who's actually scored the goal. I just wondered, do you actually prefer the when when we had the music, um, or are you a fan of without it and let the you know the crowd work the magic? I just I just think it's it's almost seems like coincidental that when Maranakis came in, he, it was perhaps something he might have done that uh, you know determined that we don't have goal music anymore. So I, I just wondered how you felt about not having it anymore, and and did you prefer it basically? Mm. Thanks for opening that can of worms. Um, <laughs> that's... <laughs> Um, so, yeah, the goal music came in. I think that goes back to what we were talking about earlier with the League One days. The atmosphere was just really flat. The attendance, as you can imagine, was low. Uh, and someone somewhere, and I can't remember who, um, came up with the idea, and maybe we need some goal, mu goal music just to try and lift the, the atmosphere a bit. Um and between a few of us, I, I seem to remember there was a bit of a short list. Um, Blur Song 2 was on there. Fratelli's we ended up with. There were probably some of the other usual suspects as well. Anyway, we, yeah, we went with Fratelli's. And if I'm honest, it the goal music probably outstayed its welcome for me. I think it is a contentious one. And I always remember... Uh, this so this was during one of Billy's times, and when he had his assistant called Jim, someone. Um, I was anyway. I was on holiday, and um, I just made the mistake of looking at Twitter, and people used to loop me into stuff like goal music all the time, and I remember someone tagging me and Jim into a conversation about goal music. And I always remember Jim just replied to this guy saying, don't worry, it'll be gone by the next home game. And I always remember looking at that thinking, well, that's interesting because the last I heard, and I'm not hugely involved in stuff like that, but it had been brought in for a reason. And until someone somewhere said, that's enough, that would be it. And I thought, I don't even, I couldn't tell you what Jim's job title was, but here is, the manager's kind of right-hand guy just calling the shots and saying, right, we won't have goal music anymore. Um, I don't think it was gone the next game, but 
you know, someone somewhere. I think they did a poll. They did. I think they did an online poll, um, and it was really close. But they, you know, they got rid of it. And like I so said, I think it was the right thing. I pre, I do prefer it. With no, it doesn't need it when the stadium's full. We don't need that kind of thing. Um, but it was there for a job um, in a different, completely different time. Um, I, I think if we played it now. <laughs> That would be an interesting experiment, wouldn't it? <laughs> Let's not. Um, so no, it, it, it's it's just not needed. And I know some some clubs do it. Some places love it. Um, my own feeling is, sound of the crowd is much much preferable. I first sort of got two to ask you here. Sort of one, the first one, just in line with what you said uh, just fairly recently. So. When you said about how um, Robin sort of struggles, almost sort of shut out, if you like. Obviously, well, me and Lee both did obviously journalism degrees, so it's pretty horrifying to sort of hear that. But I mean, in that sort of line of questioning, where obviously he got pulled up for, do you think that that is something that this is more a widespread football issue, not so much a forest one, localized one, if you like? But do you think there are maybe journalists who are sort of apprehensive about asking questions of a spike in nature? for fear of reprimand like that, where they just get shot out and, you know, turned away, if you like. I've only ever heard of it at one other club. Um, that's fairly recently. But, yeah, it is It is a bit of a worry that, um, you know, I do, I do know that with the Robin thing, the BBC, these contracts, um, part of the contract, it... it is to do with post-match interviews. So it's not just, you can't just unilaterally say, I'm not going to do that anymore. You know, you are contractually obliged to do it. And I'm sure, you know, especially nowadays, you know, Steve has to do countless interviews. And I know that is part of the thing with the Premier League. But you have to say the same thing over and over. And he probably spends probably an hour post-match. Um and bearing in mind, this was pre-Premier League. Um, I don't even know what... And like I said, I know Robin is a good friend and I know he would never go too far. Uh, and he wasn't out to cause offence. He wasn't out to cause headlines. It was a perfectly reasonable question about something to do with the game, something to do with the club. I I don't know. Um, but Billy took exception to it. And, and I just... I think it is... A, a bit of a worry. And I suppose these days, because of these contracts, um, you could end up in a situation where, I don't know, a broadcaster says, well, you've broken your contract. And then you end up in some kind of tussle. And that would be a shame because I think like a lot of things, a lot of this is built on goodwill anyway. So, you know, just because it says in a contract, you're going to do an interview, you build up these relationships and people like Robin and Colin now and David Jackson work really hard at building those relationships. And, and certainly now you can hear it between Colin and Steve. They've got a, a wonderful relationship. Steve trusts Colin. Um, Colin can ask some questions about tactics. And, and Steve's the kind of, because he's intelligent and he knows the game, literally, will answer questions, you know, that might be about tactics. Why do you leave it till 60 minutes to or 80 minutes to make a change? You can ask that. Um, so it is a bit a bit of a worry, but I've only heard of one other example, like I say. Um, so hopefully it's not going to be a common thing. Yeah, I think it's cross. I mean, ultimately, I think from a fan's perspective, I mean, you sort of want these questions to be asked. You sort of want, especially after the defeat, for example. I mean, let's say if Forrest, like, God forbid, lose to Luton next week and it's a horror show, you would, you would want, as a fan, like, kind of sort of say, what happens, what went wrong. So, yeah, I mean, it'd be a pretty sad day if we get to a point where those questions aren't really tolerated. But um, going back to, obviously, your sort of stint at Forest, if you like, obviously, after um, the gold music era, if you like, we had, obviously, a, obviously we had Isa Karank, the Greeks came in, so we had Karanka, we had O'Neill. I imagine O'Neill's return was somewhat similar-ish to Pierce's, although that didn't really last very long because of what we were seeing on the pitch. That's another matter. Um, then we had um, the Savary Renaissance, if you like. But I suppose what I was sort of leading to is uh, obviously COVID because we could get into the grounds. I imagine 
it was the same for you. I, I can't unless you were sort of were you sort of announcing on Zoom. What was your what, what was the sort of situation for you? Were you just much like us, just sort of just watching from the sidelines? Or yeah, yeah, I didn't I didn't go in. Um, it was weird. I did one I did one thing where I did um, some like announcing the team for uh, similar kind of thing to what you guys are doing with one of these uh, podcasts on Zoom. And it was the most surreal thing. Like in my spare room, like announcing the team. <laughs> Just my wife downstairs thinking, "What the hell is he doing?" Um, yeah, COVID was it was we- weird in so many ways. But I just didn't. Yeah, I didn't didn't go in. Um, at one point, they started doing matches, didn't they? But with no crowds. And then they did the thing where they put um, cardboard cutouts and. Um, Remember seeing a picture of there was Mick Hucknall in there, and there um, William and Kate as well. It was like those days were surreal, weird. Um, but yeah, I mean that changed what I was doing at the time. I was I was on the radio, and that changed that uh, beyond recognition. It still changed it now. Um, but yeah, luckily with Forest, it kind of can't remember how long it was but eventually anyway I went back and it was just one of, it was one of those things where you think blimey some normality that was football with no crowd doesn't work does not work at all when when the crowds returned Mark Chris Hewton was in charge and I thought that season in the coat especially during Covid was quite turgid and I'm quite glad there was no supporters although I think the supporters <laughs> might have drove him out sooner to be honest but when when he inevitably got the sack and Steve Cooper come in what was what was that kind of how quick was the difference in terms of of crowd atmosphere and, and all that because obviously Cooper's got us he got he got us uh, on the front foot and winning quite quickly really so it must have the, the the change must have been chalk and cheese really yeah yeah <laughs> it's weird it's like you say Chris Hewton was a strange one because you look again you look at that on paper and you think well he's done really good stuff at you know norwich um newcastle brighton Brighton, yeah um just didn't work and and you know sometimes it doesn't but um i I do remember when forest because they were the rumors start don't they about oh who are forest going to have as the new manager and i'm not sure if anyone had mentioned steve cooper but then when he was announced there was this collective kind of oh Okay, who's that kind of thing? And then, and then after that, you heard. I think there was a little bit of a kind of backlash from a section of Swansea fans. Um, there was a rumor. I remember people were were trying to paint him as a kind of negative, kind of defensive manager. Um, these are all rumors. Nothing in it, clearly. But I think when he arrived, I think everyone just thought, well, let's, you know, let's, let's see. And he was quite clear pretty much from that, from the first game, it wasn't going to be cagey. It wasn't going to be defensive. It was going to be, let's give it a really good go. Um, And I still find it difficult to believe that we were rooted to the bottom. And then to be in with a sniff, because I remember, um, I don't have Sky, but one of my son's mates does and he kindly invited me to the um, you know the Forest Bournemouth game mm. and we were still in with a chance had we won that we would have been automatic and that's so weird when you think you know literally a few weeks before we were right at the bottom so you know to be up there and to get into the playoffs go to Wembley and we know the rest was was unbelievable was amazing but I, I for me what goes beyond all of that is the kind of person that Steve Cooper is um he's obviously a brilliant manager but as a man as a human and understanding that club and understanding the city um well I I don't think we've had anyone like him not in my lifetime um so yeah I think we're we're in a very um, fortunate position. I've also got a bit of a random one because I noticed this when I started going during that season a lot more. You stopped announcing the other team's lineup. Was that kind of your kind of 
housery or is that a choice made by the club because I really quite like that <laughs> to be honest I thought it was quite funny um I can't take any credit for that I won't say who it was but it was it was a decision by the club um okay. so yeah yeah I must admit when it first came about I thought oh I don't know is that does that is that a bit disrespectful in a way but you know I went with it they asked they asked for it to be done and Fine, and now I just don't think about it. We announced them at what half two ish, uh, but beyond that, no, we don't at kick off. And I, yeah, I agree with you. I now I've got quite got got used to it, and um, yeah, I like housery, it's good that. <laughs> I think just uh, just staying on the that promotion season, I mean, it's something that we've asked other guests that we've had on this podcast. Was there one particular game? Certainly on home soil, where you actually thought actually this team could get promoted this season. Um, if I'm absolutely, I've got a rubbish memory for specific games. Um, actually, I do. When when we played, um, we played Swansea. Um, I think wasn't it? we played them away, and then we beat them like five. I think it was four one away. I think four one something. Yeah. Well, that to me, that that addressed the whole thing of is he defensive? Uh, no. Um, and when you think as well, so that was one key key game. But when you think <clears throat> in that team and in that season, the attacking ability that we had, you know, Lewis Grabben was on fire. Brennan was was coming really good. We had Lolly as well to to bring on. So attacking wise. It was just a joy to to watch. So I don't know. You could kind of you could kind of feel something in the air as the season went on, but I I didn't dare. Th- I'm, I'm I'm getting more and more superstitious the older I get, and I didn't dare think that we might do it. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home advantage of McDelivery. You win? Order now on McDonald's app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery free in terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. If you talk about superstitions, we've all got uh, our own little ones here. Adam had um, one of those art of football uh, just can't get enough shirt, and he, we wear that every game. We, we used to win quite a lot in it. Um, me and Reese have a thing where I think we always try and wear or wear a shirt that we were so, that's associated with a victory against that team. I always had the most recent one, and I believe I'm sure has probably one of his many mugs that we keep seeing on these calls that he <laughs> normally has on the match there, something. But, um, on the topic, I know you sort of mentioned, um, you know, post goal music wasn't particularly to your liking. But post win music might be, and I remember, or maybe not. I remember after the um, the Arsenal game when we won one nil, the first time we played, just can't get enough, and I felt it wasn't uh, it wasn't like overly received as it is now. It was fairly subdued. It was like, yeah, okay, get in. We beat an Arsenal, but when I when we beat Derby, and after that when it played, and the whole ground was just rocking, were you a bit like? We're onto something here. And yeah, could you just talk me through the sort of uh, reasoning behind why that came in? And thankfully it stuck around. But yeah. Yeah. Um, again, I, I, I genuinely can't remember whose idea it was, but this kind of message came down about, you know, when we win, <clears throat> we're going to start using Depeche Mode. It's, it's, a, it's a strange thing. And because I've been doing it for a little while, you know, experience after a while, Tell it's like it's similar to radio stuff actually because audiences generally are quite conservative and I think actually football crowds are some of the most conservative in the world. Um, where wherever they are, 
Um, so I think, you know, it's, an, it's not just a forest thing. But if you change one thing, then people kind of go, oh, I see. If it's a change that's come about because of a win or because of something good, people will give it time. If it's a change associated with something not so good, then clearly that's going to have bad kind of connections. So, you know, there's no kind of big secret around how it works. Um, but, yeah, it was. You're, you're right. I remember that. The, the first Depeche Mode was kind of, but now, <clears throat> because people have changed the words and it's become a Stevie Cooper kind of reference as well, um, it just works. It just works really nicely. And um, I don't say anything. Don't say a word. Um, which is a again as a presenter, you're kind of going, Well, I, can I just say bye bye? Can I just say can I just say the next game is? Uh, don't forget your tickets, have a safe journey home. But actually, sometimes there's an old saying, less is more, and that's an example of that. Um, you know, that might change over time. They might say, All right, go and mention the next game or do the final scores or whatever. Um, because it, it is, um, things have got to evolve and we do tweak things from time to time. We've got some new new people this season working with me pitch side as well and they're trying some new things, which is, you know, I'm actually doing a bit more and we're trying to link up what you see on the screens with what I'm talking about. And um, I'm, I'm enjoying that, you know, and, and it's good for me just to change things. I don't want to just, I've never been a kind of person that just wants to do the same old, all the time so it's good to you know keep him on his toes we've got to talk about the playoffs mark obviously we could have cut tension with a knife at sheffield united at home but uh so that's that's probably the first part of the question like what was that like because you must have one of the best seats in the house being on on pitch side there uh, and and that and basically like within touching distance of the players so that must have been Fun, especially with Paul Heggenbottom kicking off on the sidelines of Jed Spencer in the in the in the second half. I think it was or the first half. I can't remember now, but that must have been fun. Yeah, I mean, Sheffield United games are always spiky, aren't they? So um, when we played them just a couple of weeks ago, a few weeks ago, yeah, uh, I remember saying to someone, "Yeah, it's always." Spike, it, it always has been because of the geography and the history and there's there, there have always been moments in those games and you could just feel something. You know, we had a hell of a lot to uh, to play for that night. Uh, well, so did they, obviously. But, uh, yeah, you're right. The, the thing with Jed, I've never understood. Heckingbottom's a funny character, isn't he? And his, his number two is as well. Um, but I think they just come fired up because they they know the atmosphere is going to be spiky as well so i think they kind of play on that um but there have been a few kind of flashpoints but the jed thing was just like ridiculous because he shoved it didn't he throw it into his like yeah he like he like, like shoved it into his yeah into his midriff yeah. yeah um but yeah the the atmosphere was i mean it was, it was crackling that night and Again, the, you've got this thing as a Forest fan as well. You kind of think, well, a few weeks ago, I had no clue we would be here now on the cusp of going to Wembley. But here we are, uh, which was amazing. And then playing against one of our big rivals as well. And you, then you throw in the Jed thing. You look at it now and obviously Morgan Gibbs-White with his penalty. You've got Brees with his housery. As you mentioned, <laughs> um, um, and it was just yeah when 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 we won that was just that was one of the biggest nights I can remember. I remember thinking be at, at the end of the game before it went to penalties. I remember sitting there thinking, I hope this didn't go to penalties. I'm desperate for a wee, um, but I knew then I left it to I couldn't leave I couldn't leave my seat because the whole game was end to end and. Uh, it was traumatic in so many ways. Uh, so there I was, just urging them, A, to win, and B, hurry up, because I really <laughs> I really need a win. Um, and it was just amazing. And, and that was a great thing. That was a great example, actually, um, of togetherness, because I always remember I, I sit pitch side 
And so I'm kind of just to the left where I used to be, left of the tunnel. And you watch, they were taking penalties at the Bridgeford end. And um, every, the entire coaching backroom staff, subs, even players that weren't even on the bench, injured players, they were all there. They were on a massive huddle. And you thought, yeah, it's this place is together. And Steve's done that. Well, well, I hope the pitch invasion didn't stop you from going to the toilet. But just, just, I just wanted to ask you about Wembley. How close was you saying the world famous city ground at Wembley? Because I remember you saying this: "You're the crowd, and this is our city," or something. And I think you said this is the world famous. And then I think you kind of like took a bit of a moment. Went Wembley, and I was like, "Oh, yeah. I wasn't sure if that was nearly a slip of the tongue there." No, I, I'm way too professional for that, Adam. I don't do that kind of thing. I don't make mistakes. Um, no, that was a deliberate thing so um i mean that was that was amazing that that day um i wasn't entirely sure until the i think it was the maybe the thursday we played on the sunday and so uh, i was still at the bbc then so we were making plans there and they were talking about going to london and doing an outside broadcast and all of that and as it turned out that worked out nicely so i was on the radio quite I think I did eight till 11 and then <clears throat> I had to go into Wembley and do like a run through. Um, and the woman said, oh, we'll probably shove a camera in your face as well. Um, is that or have you done that kind of thing before? And I was like, no, but um, fine, whatever. Um, and I remember thinking at the time it would be good to get, you know, the world famous reference in there. Um and yeah, that so hence that was the reason for that. Um, but what was I thinking? Oh yeah, it, it, so it was quite interesting. So the the Huddersfield approach was a bit more um, kind of wordy. So they, we we had I think we just had a, vid, a couple of videos, and then I did the team, and then it was kind of uh, the rallying cry world-famous uh, Wembley Stadium, and then we played Muller Kintyre, which was just off the scale. But I think Huddersfield did, um, they had a video, but didn't he do like a, it wasn't a poem or, there was, but there was a bit of a monologue. Um, and it was just an interesting, I'm not saying one's right and one's wrong, um, but I think ours was far superior. <laughs> I actually would go as far as saying I felt more confident we would win after that. I know you shouldn't judge it by the fans, but don't get me wrong. It was nice seeing Patrick Stewart give a talk. It was nice seeing them have their little clappers. But after, mm. I, I, as soon as I heard them do that, I was like, "We're going to be much louder than this." And you can tell we've just, if, if we're more up for it, that will transcend down to the players, and yeah. hopefully that played a small part in us getting over the line. But it, you're right; it's, it's interesting to see the sort of differing sides to things, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, one thing there. I mean, the Huddersfield announcer hadn't wasn't there for the run through and I remember the woman at Wembley was pulling her hair out and they couldn't get a hold of him and I said well if he doesn't turn up what what happens then because do I have to do both or and she goes no 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 no, 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 no. you you just you just do the forest thing we'll you know Huddersfield might have to go without and even then I was I was thinking oh that might be quite interesting because obviously then they're definitely on the back foot aren't they um um, but no, it, it was it was just an amazing, and even that day. Now I think back, there was something in the air. Something felt, and I didn't dare say it. I never said this at the time. Something felt pretty good, and I I didn't feel nervous um, really before before that game. So it, it just yeah, there was something that was telling me that it was going to be all right. Um, I was the same. I think it, it just felt uh, the whole build-up just felt like it was going our way. Like I even remember getting the train up, and it was just like full of Forest fans, barely any Huddersfields. It was like okay, it was just little small things like that. Like I mean, I, one of, another one of the superstitions, if I'm ever in the main stand, which is quite rare these days, because um, obviously all lower Bridgeford got moved over, so we I go up at Bridgeford now. But I always used to go through gate number turnstile number seven, and at Wembley, our turnstile for my block was number seven. And I was like, ah, wow. well, and yeah, you sort yeah, of yeah. see all these things like lined up like that. And it's sort of like yeah. the only time I actually felt nervous in that game was probably the last five minutes, honestly. Like, I, I just felt like we've, we've got this <laughs> in the bag. 
Like, yeah. and then you see it, and we're like, shank it, everyone we're celebrating clearances, and we're on our knees, just begging for the full time <laughs> whistle. That was when I felt nervous. But like, you're you're right; it did feel there was something like it aligned in our favour. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I was I was looking that day as well because my son and my daughter, because uh, they're huge Forest fans, they came, so we all sat together. So to sit there and to go through, well, go through, enjoy the experience with them. That was that was you know amazing. And um, actually, my daughter and I have re-watched it a couple of times because every now and again she goes, oh, should we watch playoff final again? And it's only, you mentioned there, the last five minutes, and you just think, God, if that had been given, you know, that penalty shout and whatever, uh, not, not that it, I don't think it was, but That's sometimes they're given, aren't they? Um, yeah, I was. I was just actually going to go on to to post Wembley. When did you find out you were going to be doing the uh, the stuff on Market Square afterwards? Um, I mean, that that just must have been an amazing honour to to get to do that as well. Yeah, um, that was. <laughs> I think that was on the Monday morning. So we were driving up. We drove back. It took forever because obviously, as Christian mentioned, I think London was like ninety percent Forest fans. So getting up the M1 was um that was a long night so got back home and I knew I was on the radio on Monday morning and then then there was there was kind of a rumor that Forrest would do um like some kind of not a parade but they would appear in our market square and someone at the Beeb and rightly said we should go and do the show from there but that's where working for both places works really nicely so Initially, we were just going to do the radio show from uh, Slab Square, and then I bumped into someone that works at Forest, and he said, "Well, come up, come up on the balcony." So I was. This is the the extent of BBC technology. So I literally, for all the speeches, including S- Steve Cook and the F bomb, I just had the microphone against a speech. I was I was lying on the the balcony of. Market Square next to a speaker, and I just put the the microphone next to the speaker so people listening could enjoy the uh, the f bomb in its full glory. Um, <laughs> but no, that was that was that was amazing. Um, do you know everyone lords uh, Stephen Reed and the picture of him on the coach with about eight cans and a cigar in it, in, it, in his mouth on the bus? But how how much how how worse for wear were the players? They stank. <laughs> yeah they 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 stank because they hadn't i don't think they changed um so they all i could smell that day was sweat and booze and um i don't, I, th- I was thinking actually it probably doesn't take take that much for football players to get drunk does it because they're not they're not used to it mm. so if they'd had you know a couple of cans at wembley Couple more on the coach hadn't really slept. It's no wonder they were hanging because they're just not used to it because they just don't drink, do they? So Keenan um, Davis must have had too many WKDs because he nearly get his kit off in Market Square. For a member, yeah, because all, yeah. all the ladies were were, 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 were egging him and egging him on as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He almost lost his kecks, didn't he? And he was, he was taking his watch off, dangling that. <laughs> Someone needs to take him home. <laughs> What's it been like back in the the Premier League, then, Mark? Obviously, because that that first game against West Ham last season, that must have been. I mean, it was booming sunshine. I don't think you needed to really do too much to to get everyone up for it. It must have been electric. Yeah, and I think that's that goes back to what we were saying earlier on. You know, I think that's the difference now. It's crowd doesn't need doesn't need me to g people up. You know, they. Um, you know they're going to enjoy it, whatever, and and that's what being in the Premier League is all about. Um, no, it was it, it, it was amazing. Like I say, it was a hot day. <clears throat> um, I think it's interesting looking back because last season, as far as what we do, um, and maybe maybe other bits of it as well, you can wing it because you don't. No one knows. It's been so long since Forest were in the Premier League, and the Premier League is a different thing to what it was in the 90s um so there is an element of kind of well let's just see how we go and and i suppose even in terms of um 
coaching and putting a team together, I think Steve's admitted this, you know, that because it's so new, it's new to everyone, it's new to him, it's new to his team, it's new to a lot of the players. Last season was a little bit of kind of, well, we'll try that, see if that works. And Whereas this season, is, I think you can see it, even in terms of um, player recruitment, there's been a lot, uh, a better approach, I suppose you can call it, because you know what you're dealing with. So it's been more cautious. It hasn't been go out and get, you know, let's have 28 players. It's been, oh, he's one to watch, this Marilla guy, you know, someone's been out, coached, uh, um, scouted rather. And um, he's certainly from what we've seen, he's been, you know, a ridiculous buy. So, yeah, I, I think this season is even more enjoyable and I don't want to tempt fate but it almost feels like it's less pressured because the the, the longer last season went on um we we're always bound to be towards the bottom end of the table I don't think anyone in their right mind thought we were going to be challenging for Europe really um but there was a point towards the end of the season where I, I began to worry a bit that home form was beginning to be a bit of a kind of noose around the neck instead of something more positive because away results were so bad we were relying just on home and and there's only a, so much you can rely on that surely you're not going to win against Arsenal at home are you um well turns out we did but it was nervy whereas I I, I don't know I've got a better feel about it this season Definitely, it does certainly seem that, that we do have more of a grip on what we're doing, which is quite nice. I think, um, but I mean, I guess I obviously you mentioned earlier about you know, obviously how uh, Colin's relationship with Steve, and I'm guessing is it sort of like where, on the one hand, obviously there were various points last season where he could have been sacked ultimately, and thankfully he wasn't because the alternatives were pretty bleak and almost certainly would have resulted in, in us doing this saying, Can we get promoted again? But, um <laughs> We it must have been weird for you as obviously obviously with that relationship in hand, knowing that so you don't want someone that you trust with you, you trust to get the sack, but you've still got to be professional at the same time. So I'm guessing obviously as we saw on social media and probably played a big part in keeping Cooper there really was that the the, the fans were I'd say ninety eight ninety nine percent behind Cooper regardless. There was a few dissenting voices and not to the point where it was like you know this is a problem. How did you sort of feel from a professional standpoint? Did you, did you think that, you know, was there a risk in your eyes? Did you think that this could be quite concerning? What what did you think? Um, yeah, I, I remember, yeah, I, I mean, look, I, I look at social media and you're aware of um, rumours and whatever. Um, I certainly didn't get any of that sense within the club itself. Um, but I saw all those rumours and, 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 you know, I've my opinion as it was always last season that even if we were relegated, we should have stayed with Steve anyway because I, I I just think he's, he's a, such a good fit for Forrest and the City and he's proven that, not just getting us promoted, but, you know, the kind of person he is, how he talks, how he reacts to things, you know, after the um, triple murders earlier this year, you know, he was uh, instrumental in in how Forrest reacted and how they could be a bit of a kind of vehicle for the healing process. Um, so that's just one example. Um, so even if Forrest had gone down, my, my personal feeling was uh, Steve is the man anyway. Um, I, I don't know if... If they if if he had gone, I would still have to you know my job is still there as um, match day host and stadium announcer, so I'd have to do it. But you know, I, I I guess what they would have to uh, yeah get, get power cuts up north. Um, I think the what the people in charge would have to take into account is that you've then got to win the crowd over that fan base have got to be convinced that 
person B is going to be better. And that takes a lot of doing, doesn't it? I mean, I just can't fathom that out. I think it, it would have been a PR disaster. Um, and it, yeah, time, it takes time for a manager to come in and turn things around. As it happened, actually, Steve did it very quickly. But we all know that by and large, new manager comes in, takes them a while. And time is the big thing that, that football managers don't have these days. I think the I think the relationship Steve has with supporters and even professional people, media, journalists, everything is is quite clear to see. Like when you see his press conference, he knows everyone's first name. He probably knows every single person within the club, and then all the fans that are waiting outside training grounds, waiting for for photos and stuff. He seems that kind of guy, really. Like which is I think is a real personable touch, and I think that's why he's so relatable to us as as supporters, and I think that's why we're so behind him majority majority of us. So, so that's good to see, but what's your thoughts on the rest of this coming season, Mark? And are you hoping that Forrest don't keep signing players with difficult names to say, such as Tyro or <laughs> Onye? <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, yeah, my, my feeling is um, that I would like to see Forrest just I mean, now we've 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 stayed in. You know, the first thing is get promoted. Second thing is stay where you are. And for me now, it's it's to become a consistent Premier League club. So yes, survive again, but try and push on a little bit more. I'm not one of these people that. Don't get me wrong. I would love to see Forest in Europe. I'm not. I'm not saying I don't want to see that. But I don't necessarily need to see it this season. I would be perfectly happy with a slight improvement on last season. So if it's 13th or 14th, great. And then next season, go for 11th or 12th, great. And then a bit more and a bit more. If you look at, um, I, I've, I've mentioned this before, but I think Brighton are a good example of a team that did this. They got promoted and they just had a steady growth slow and steady and then look at them now um so i think that's that's probably not a bad aspiration to have personally yeah i tend to agree with that i think uh, we've said on this podcast before with uh it, it seems to be with forest fans we win a couple of games or stay unbeaten for a month and then everyone's dreaming of some random Faro islands team in the conference league um i think my final question for you mark really is just more from it, it's a little bit off piste, I guess, but I just wondered what your kind of match day routine looks like. I mean, is there, is there anything in particular that you do before you head to the ground and, and that sort of stuff? Obviously, I'm always quite intrigued by again, I know your role is slightly different, but when commentators share all the, the hours of um, you know, research they do before they go on air and that sort of stuff, I, I just kind of was really intrigued by what your match day routine looks like when we're at home. Mm. Um, well, one thing I'd say with that is that so far this season, we haven't had a single Saturday, three o'clock. In fact, the next one is Luton, isn't it? Which is our first Saturday, three o'clock. And <clears throat> that, at the risk of sounding like um, an old football fart, um, I, 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 <laughs> I don't mind a bit of variety, but uh, honestly, you know, it's been Friday nights, Sunday afternoons, um, everything apart from Saturday. So my routine, I still haven't worked out because uh, my drive to the ground is easily 30, 35 minutes. And I've got to I've got to work out my route and I've got to work out where I need to be. I'm also now parking the club. Um, I used to park at the cricket club and now I'm parking at the rugby club which adds a bit more on, so you need to get there a bit earlier. Um, and now I'm doing this stuff in the lounges as well before, so I am actually getting there a bit early. So in answer to your question, Lee, I don't really know what time I've, I'm probably getting there way too early and then just spend my time talking with very nice security guards and um, stewards and people like that, which is fine, but they know I'm just killing time. Um, 
superstition wise i have started a thing where i've i've got to, i've got to wear a badge that my daughter bought me um so i've got to wear that and i always wear the same socks uh which i do wash clearly i don't just like wear them game after game um and i also always go i walk pitch side the same way so i actually walk through the gates players car park <clears throat> um and then walk around that way. Um, and one thing with Premier League is that pe- the number of people pitch side is just daft. So it's not just BBC and occasionally ITV. You've got Sky, BT, international broadcasters, YouTubers, I think sometimes as well. So that row of media feels like you've got an army of people to kind of get through. Um I mean, I couldn't possibly say there are too many of them because that's like it's part of the Premier League. But sometimes you do feel like <laughs> like elbowing people out of the way. So excuse me, we're trying to do a do a job here. Um, but yeah, that's that's more or less my routine. I think from a red side of the trend podcast point of view, we're going to start a petition to get you a parking space at the club. Ah. Oh. That would I think that's, be, that, that would be. The, I, I, I'm absolutely astounded that you have. That's unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I feel. Oh, I don't want to make a mountain out of a molehill, but um, yeah, there is a part of me that thinks I'm. I hope it's not a metaphor because you know I used to park in the main stand, not main stand, main stand car park. Um, park in the main stand would be quite an achievement. Then I was moved to the cricket club, and now rugby so uh, yeah i hope it's not a metaphor you know let's move mark out um but uh hey look yeah i'm not that old so i can still walk the distance i don't mind it's actually quite nice because you're walking along with you get a bit of a sense for how people are feeling as well so on a on a serious note it's quite nice and 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 obviously at the end of the game if we've if we've won or been a good result it's quite nice to walk along with people along Radcliffe Road as well. So, and then you sit in your car for three hours anyway. So, it's fine. Yeah, that's, that's, that's fair enough. Yeah, um, I just last one for me. Is, I know we sort of uh, Adam sort of loosely joked about it earlier, but obviously you see clubs do sort of this thing on social media. I know Palace have done it a few times where they've got the players to pronounce their surnames, if you like. Uh, obviously, in your preparation for what you do, how much time do you have to spend like pronouncing these players' rights? I mean, like even now, like we've had several attempts, all problem, most of them offensive in some Greek language for the goalkeeper uh, that we still haven't quite grasped yet. So, how how do you like how do you do you find out from the player itself? Do the club sort of say to you, "This is how it's pronounced." How do you sort of know like how to fully pronounce one of our uh, players' names? Yeah, I mean, obviously, home ones are key. Um, and I don't mean this disrespectfully, but if you get someone, if you get a, an away player's name wrong, and I know I've done that, we're, we're we're all human. I don't do it deliberately, but equally, it's it's not it's not a massive thing. I think it is a big deal if I get one of our own players uh, wrong, and I yeah, certainly in the last batch of recruitment I did make a point of checking uh, about how to pronounce his uh, I'm really intrigued now to hear your attempt at this um, our um, number two goalkeeper's name so I made a point of checking how you say his name uh, so we both I thought first thought it was Vatonimos then we had someone who could speak Greek message us saying, as it's Vladimir, I think, or something like that. That's how Adam's been saying it anyway. So, hmm. yeah, I don't know if we were right or wrong yeah. with that front. But... Yeah. Basically, Mark, what you're saying is that you hope Matt Turner plays all 38 games this well, <laughs> all, tw- all 20, all 19 home games, should I say? Yes, yes, that would be lovely. I'm, um, I'm waiting. I'm waiting for Vladimir to be in goal and I'm a Bamadile at centre half and a one year <laughs> Get them all out. Thank God we're the out problem... of the Carabao Cup. Yeah, exactly. The, the prob- problem is uh, with Odysseus, it, his surname's Odysseus, isn't it? Um, the problem is <clears throat> when I asked, someone at the club told me how to pronounce it. And, they, and then someone else behind me piped up with. Uh, 
it rhymes with Shakademus. Well, that's easy enough, isn't it? So well, there's a yeah, song the in pro- there. There's a song in exactly. there, guys. <laughs> and now the problem is every time I've got to say it, I always think, don't say Shakademus. Don't say Shakademus and players. Oh, Mark, that's going out as a clip. Someone will latch onto that like a like a fly on on yeah. Two. Yeah, can you, can you imagine the next time I've got to say it and I just launch into tease me, tease me? <laughs> Brilliant, Mark. Uh, we can't thank you enough for your time and and your and some of your insight and some of your stories for joining us on inside the Trent here. Um, I know you're not part of the BBC. What what are you doing other than the stadium stuff now? If if anyone wants to still hear your dulcet tones on airwaves, oh, that's very kind i get an advert um <laughs> of course you do everyone does so yeah i'm um i've had a bit of time uh off over the summer which is which has been lovely but my wife's told me i've got to get back to work so radio wise, that's what it is <laughs> yeah um radio wise i'm now working for virgin radio so i'm i'm on their uh 80s station at the weekend but i pop up on there are various virgin stations so that's been that's been lovely and i'm loving doing that um working at forest and i've got um a couple of other things that i am going to be doing one of which will be kind of um it's not radio i'm not doing any other radio apart from virgin but it's in nottingham and it'll be kind of media related and um watch this space bro um and then just before you go as well, Mark, you got a score prediction for the Luton game at all? Um, I don't really, I don't, I try not to do predictions, but um, why not? I, I mean, I would like to think without, I, what I don't like is when people go, oh, it's a must win game and all of this. It's only October. Um, having said that, it is at home and it is Luton. So I would like a two or three nil win. That would be very nice indeed. Uh, but if that doesn't happen, then I'll take a one nil. But I think I think we will win. Brilliant. Thank you very much for joining us on this episode of Red Star Trent. Mark Dennison, lovely to have you. Hope to have you again in the future. That would be that'd be brilliant. If if we're in Europe and going against conference league sides where there's plenty of more names that you can't pronounce. <laughs> but thank you very much. We'll see you on the next one. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home advantage of McDelivery. You win? Order now on McDonald's app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery free in terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.